Hey, welcome back. Uh, my name is Laura, and you are listening to Never To Be Seen Again, the podcast. Uh, this week, we are in Wyoming, and I know last week I told you about four missing persons, and I'm going to do it again this week. I didn't intend to cover four people again, but I came across a case that I felt like I had to cover. I'm going to save it for my second case this week, though, because my first case is just as interesting, but it should take me a little less time to cover. So let's just jump into it. So let's head over to Teton Village, Wyoming, and talk about the case of Catherine Ann Major. Catherine is case number MP18171 in NamUs, and she has a Charlie Project profile. She is not on the Doe Network, though, most likely because her case is uh, more recent. So Kathy is a white female who stands about 5'5 and weighs about 125 pounds. She has green eyes and had brown hair at the time of her disappearance. She was 53 at the time of her disappearance, and she would be 63 now, although I could not find her exact birthday. Kathy has a scar on her lower right uh, side of her abdomen and a mole on her right cheek. Both of her ears are pierced. And at the time of her disappearance, she was last seen wearing an off-white Claude Vale uh, hooded sweatshirt with embroidery on the left arm and a turquoise bra. Kathy also has a medical condition, but I'll tell you about that later. So now, let's back up time about 10 years and go back to September 19th of 2009. Kathy was staying at the Four Seasons Resort in Teton Village. This clever Kathy had acquired a set of master keys, most likely from an engineer who had been working in her room earlier in the week. She was caught on surveillance camera stealing about $700 worth of items from a cabinet in the spa of the resort. Of course, the staff recognized her and contacted police. Police located Kathy in her room, and she confessed to taking the items. Now, Kathy agreed to pay for the items, and the resort decided not to press charges. It is said that she seemed to be embarrassed that she was caught and agreed to leave the resort. Kathy went back to her room and began packing to leave. About 40 minutes later, an officer went to check on Kathy's progress and discovered that she was not in her room. But let me tell you what they did find in her room. They found that the glass door that led outside was open and the safe was found ajar. Everything was left behind, including her wallet, purse, toiletries, $45,000 in cash, and her two cats. Her white Jaguar convertible was still in the parking garage as well. There were no signs of a struggle in the room, but there was a note written by Kathy, an, addre an address to her mother saying, Please take care of Oscar and Max. I have nothing. Oscar and Max are, of course, her two cats. They also found some more curious items in Kathy's belongings, such as pill bottles, hair extensions or wigs, sunglasses, a book with the middle section cut out, hospital syringes, two cell phones, a tape recorder, a camera, computers, black leather gloves, rope, and jewelry. Police immediately began searching for Kathy. 
canines uh, seem to pick up a scent outside of those glass doors of the hotel room that led them across Granite Loop Road and north toward Obsidian Drive. The dogs led investigators down a hill to Granite Drive and north towards an area with a barn and an open field, but they found no signs of Kathy. Investigators ended up contacting her family members, her financial advisor, a doctor, and other hotels where she'd stayed in an attempt to locate Kathy, but still no success. Now here we are, 10 years later, and we are no closer to knowing what happened to Kathy than we were all those years ago. So the thing about Kathy is that she was known to have her struggles with being bipolar. In fact, her sister claimed that Kathy had attempted suicide at least five times prior to her disappearance during bouts of depression. Paperwork was found in the hotel room that indicated to Kathy's medical condition. So also consider with the pills that were found in her hotel room and the consultation of her physician by the police. If you conclude that Kathy was experiencing a bout of depression, you almost have to consider that she left with the intent to commit suicide. If she did commit suicide though, where did she do it? And why hasn't her body been found? Here are a couple of other interesting notes about Kathy's case. Kathy was actually seen in the company of a man days before her disappearance. That man has willingly cooperated with law enforcement and Kathy's family, uh, though, and Kathy's family, and uh, neither the police or her family consider him as a person of interest in Kathy's disappearance. <clears throat> Another thing is in Texas uh, in April of 2014, someone believed that they had located Kathy at a homeless shelter, but fingerprints and photograph comparison confirmed that the female was not Kathy. So no activity has been reported on Kathy's bank accounts since her disappearance. Police and Kathy's family believe that Kathy is dead. Her case remains open, though, because her body has never been found. Police still contact her family every year to make sure Kathy hasn't made contact with anyone, and to this day, she hasn't. Her case is cold, but it is still open, and although her family believes she is deceased, they still seek closure, the closure that comes with locating Kathy. So Kathy's photos and information can be found on both NamUs and the Charlie Project. Teton County Sheriff's Office is the investigating agency, so all tips and information can be submitted to them. That is the case of Catherine Ann Major. What do you think happened to Kathy? Uh, so before I go any further, I just want to apologize. I'm sorry, this week I kind of have a, a scratchy throat, so if uh, I don't sound normal or if I have to clear my throat a lot, I apologize if you could just bear with me. So now that we have talked about Kathy, we will move on to our much larger case this week. Let's talk about the Udens missing from Lander, Wyoming. I'll start with Virginia Lynn Uden. Uh, she is case number 1261 uh, WY in the Doe Network and case number MP83 in NamUs. She also has a profile on the Charlie Project. 
Virginia was born on October 6th of 1947. She was 32 at the time of her disappearance. She would be 72 now. She is 5'6 and 170 pounds. And she is a white female with brown hair and brown eyes. She also has a birthmark on her lower left eyelid. Now let me tell you about her sons, Richard and Reagan. And I'll tell you about the older Richard first. He is case number 58DMWY in the Doe Network and MP3971 in NamUs. He too has a Charlie Project profile. Richard Lorne Uden was born on November 22nd of 1968 and was 11 at the time of his disappearance. He would be 51 now. He stood 5 foot 3 and weighed only 90 pounds. He is a white male with brown hair and brown eyes. Richard wore eyeglasses with black plastic frames to correct um, a cross eye. <clears throat> He also has surgical scars on his neck and on his nose and a scar on his forehead. Richard's younger brother, Regan Cordell Uden, was born on May 25th of 1970, and he was 10 at the time of his disappearance. He would be 49 now. He, too, is a white male who has brown hair and brown eyes. He was 5'2 and 100 pounds at the time of his disappearance. Regan has a small scar on his um, right eyelid and a surgical scar on his abdomen from a hernia operation. He also has a gap between his two upper front teeth. Virginia, Richard, and Regan's profiles are linked on the Doe Network and the Charlie Project. There are also age progression photos of Richard and Regan on all three sites. The boys are also entered into the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Now, let's hear about this crazy case. Let's travel back in time, if you will, to September 12th of 1980. It's about 1.30 in the afternoon, and Virginia and her two sons are leaving Virginia's mother's house in Riverton, Wyoming. Virginia had borrowed her mother's 1973 Ford station wagon, and they were on their way to meet up with Reagan, I'm sorry, Virginia's ex-husband, Gerald Uden. Gerald had also legally adopted Richard and Reagan, but six weeks after the finalization of the adoption, Virginia filed for divorce. Virginia was bringing Richard and Reagan to meet with Gerald <clears throat> because he had made plans to take them bird hunting so of course they had their hunting rifle in the car with them they never arrived at their destination and they in fact were never to be seen again on october 4th so almost a month later the station wagon was found it was found in the vicinity of the 700 block of north federal court in riverton wyoming near dixon park road and trout creek Canyon in the Wind River Canyon region of Fremont County. The car had been vandalized. It appeared as if someone had tried to push it into the canyon, but it had become lodged on some rocks about 75 feet from the top. Someone then tried to conceal it by covering, with, uh, covering it with pine branches. Large amounts 
of Virginia's blood were found all over the car's interior. So time passes without any closure in Virginia and the boy's disappearance. Although I'm sure people had their suspicions about Gerald and considered him a person of interest, there was no evidence to arrest him. Gerald moves on with his life and marries a woman named Alice, whom he had started dating after Virginia had filed for divorce, and he and Alice moved to Missouri. Just a note, uh, Gerald is Alice's fourth husband. Gerald and Alice uh, settle in a rural Missouri uh, area where they raise their children and attend church regularly. So now it's 2013 and Gerald is 71 and Alice is 75. Little did anyone know that this was going to be the year when the Uden case blows wide open. Investigators had began uh, had begun looking back into Virginia and the boys case and there was also an investigation into the murder of a man whose body had recently been found in an abandoned mine in Wyoming. So police decided it's a good idea to contact Alice and Gerald and see what they might have to say now. I'm not sure if those detectives were expecting what they got that day. After their interviews are complete both Gerald and Alice are placed under arrest for first-degree murder. Alice was charged with the murder of her ex-husband, Ronald Holtz, who had disappeared in 1974 or 1975. His body was that body that was found in the abandoned mine. Alice had only married him in 1974, so not long before his death. She would later claim that uh, she shot him uh, with a rifle after he became upset that her daughter was crying and she was protecting herself and her daughter from being attacked. What evidence suggested occurred was that Alice had actually shot Holtz in the back of the head while he was sleeping. Her children also said that she admitted to them that she had shot him while he was sleeping. And I'll just mention that Holtz was shot with a 22 caliber rifle. So in 2014, Alice was convicted of second degree murder of Holtz and she was sentenced to life in prison at the age of 75. So how does Gerald factor into this? Well, he doesn't really. Alice was already a murderer by the time she met Gerald, so he had nothing to do with Holtz's murder, but the police talked to him on that day in 2013 and Gerald spilled the beans. He straight up confessed under advisement of Miranda that he had murdered Virginia, Richard, and Reagan. So the claims are that Virginia kept wanting uh, more child support from Gerald and she was less than easygoing about him seeing the boys. He said at the time that he was not financially strapped, but Virginia kept asking for more and uh, she was kind of giving him a hard time. There was also an accusation that Virginia was trying to break him and Alice up. So he's having issues with Virginia and of course Alice wasn't exactly making it easier on him. So he was being kind of chewed at from both ends and I think 
that he thought the easiest solution was to get rid of Virginia, but he couldn't get rid of Virginia without getting rid of the boys. So he made those plans to go bird hunting with Virginia and the boys, and they met at a local uh, at a location not far from where Gerald and Alice were living at the time, at a place called Pavilion. He got into the station wagon with Virginia and the boys, and they drove about another five or six miles and stopped near an irrigation canal. I'm going to stop right here and tell you and let you know that I'm going to tell you what Gerald claims happened near that irrigation canal. And it's not exactly easy to hear, so maybe skip ahead if you think it's going to be too much for you. So Virginia and the boys had brought that 22 caliber rifle with them. Now Gerald claims that he didn't ask them to bring it, they just did. So the boys want to shoot, and Gerald says he wanted to test the rifle, and he did, and it worked fine. He said he walked up behind Virginia, uh, shot her in the back of the head, then shot Richard behind the ear. Reagan saw what was happening. He ran, tripped, and fell in uh, the ditch. And when he did, Gerald walked up and shot him right behind the ear. So then Gerald decides to get rid of the bodies and dumps all three bodies in an abandoned mine. Month, months later, according to him, he goes back to that mine and retrieves the bodies. He then puts Virginia's body in a 55-gallon steel drum and seals it. Then he put the boys' bodies in a 30-gallon drum and sealed it too. He said he took his boat to Fremont Lake and dumped the drums. Now to this day, those bodies have never been found even after extensive searching of that lake. Now you might be saying, Laura, that's a lot. And you're right, it is. That seems like a lot of work for just one person. And maybe you're thinking Alice had to have helped him, not to mention there are a lot of similarities between the murder of Alice, uh, uh, between the murders Alice committed and the murder Gerald claimed to have committed. Well, I might be inclined to agree, but Gerald claims to have acted alone and refused to incriminate Alice in the disappearance and death of Virginia and the boys. So Gerald makes a full confession and, of course, provides accurate details of the crime that the public wasn't aware of, even admits that it was premeditated, and he ends up pleading guilty. With his guilty plea and confession, the death uh, sentence is taken off the table and he is sentenced to life in prison. Gerald never showed any remorse for the murders. But hold on, because the story doesn't end there. So it's June of 2019 now, and Alice dies at the age of 80 due to health problems. Since then, Gerald has attempted to have his confession withdrawn and you'll never guess why. So now that Alice is dead, he is claiming that he did not kill Virginia and the boys, but it was actually Alice who committed the murders. He claimed that he originally confessed to the murders because he was afraid Alice would be charged with their murders and he didn't want that to happen. You know, just being a loyal husband, I guess.
So the motion to have that confession thrown out is almost immediately denied. Now, of course, he still has options to appeal that uh, decision, but I'd be surprised if any of it flies. I think, like Alice, he's going to die uh, while doing his time. Now, I don't know what side of this y'all are going to sit on, but in my opinion, I feel like Alice and Gerald are co-conspirators. There, <clears throat> there are way too many coincidences between their crimes for me. Like the fact that in both cases, it was a twenty-two caliber rifle and everyone was shot in the back of the head. There are also some unanswered questions for me. Like, if Gerald solely committed those murders, why can't we find the bodies? And if Alice killed Virginia and the boys, how did she move all of their bodies alone? Most curious to me, though, is how did Gerald get back to his vehicle in Pavilion after the station wagon was abandoned? Truth is, we'll probably never have those answers. And for me, I don't really need all of the answers. I just want the answer to the most important question. Where are Virginia and the boys? Now, if you want to read more about this case, there are article, articles all over online. This story has also been featured on multiple TV shows. Uh, there is also a book called Alice and Gerald, A Homicidal Love Story that I can suggest to you, but I haven't read it uh, personally, so you read it and you tell me uh, what you think about it. This story for me uh, put way too much emphasis on the murderers and far too less attention on the victims. I'm happy that someone is being punished for their crimes, but I'm not really gonna. Uh, I'm not really telling the story of an innocent uh, woman and her two innocent sons who were murdered in cold blood, but have never been found. I just want you to keep them in your mind instead of those murderers. The, instead of the murderer or murderers. So, any information uh, you may have in regards to this case can be submitted to the Fremont County Sheriff's Office. They are the agency handling the case. So that was the case of the Udens, um, and it was a big one, but I don't want it to outshine Catherine's disappearance. Her story is just as important, if not more so. So please keep her in mind as well when you think back on this week's cases. So that was our uh, episode for this week, and I hope you enjoyed it. I know I enjoyed researching it. So, as always, if you like this podcast, subscribe, follow, uh, favorite, rate, or review it, and share it with your friends. Let everyone know what I'm doing here. Also, I need your input. So, I have an idea to record a bonus episode in the near future, but I want you to tell me uh, what disappearance you want to hear about. I'll pick two for the bonus episode as well. Uh, I won't need any details. I just want the name of the missing person and I'll do the research. So if you want a case, uh, if you have a case that you want to be told, prefer, I, preferably uh, the ones that are less known, I like telling those a little bit more. You can email the name of that person to never to be seen again podcast at gmail.com. Um, also, 
If you would like your name mentioned on the episode or not, you can let me know in the email. I hope to hear from you soon, and I can't wait to tell your stories. So tune in next week when I tell you about a couple of more cases of those never to be seen again. <laughs>